Today's word is from the grave to the sky, following on from last week's word, which was from the cross to the grave. From the grave to the sky. When Jesus gave up his spirit to his father, he then descended in his spirit on a mission of great purpose. Below him was a place called paradise. And next to paradise was a place called Hades. Jesus had spoken about these places when he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the beggar. The rich man, who lived sumptuously in arrogant self-indulgence all of his life, ended up in Hades. And Lazarus, who lived the life of a humble beggar, ended up in paradise with Abraham. You read that in Luke chapter 16. Jesus had now descended to these places. Paradise was where there were millions of souls who had been waiting for him from the beginning of time. These had lived their lives on earth in hope, many of them guided by the commandments through Moses, but many simply by a good conscience. They were locked away from eternity till eternity would now come to get them. Jesus would also visit Hades, the grave, the prison of lost hope. The Bible says that Jesus then preached to all those prisoners of time the message of the plan of the Father, the Gospel. Father had sent Jesus into the world to set people free from the captivity of sin and to bring his new creation life to humanity. This latter part of the mission of setting people free was one of setting prisoners free from the captivity of time as they had waited as captives for heaven to come to them. He had finished his mission on earth by dying on the cross, and now he has this final part of setting people free from the captivity of the past. So he speaks to them, and many listened and heard this message of freedom at this time. The scriptures speak of this moment in 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says, Jesus died once for the sins of all sinners. Although he himself was innocent of any sin at any time, that he might bring us safely home to God. But though his body died, his spirit lived on. And it was in the spirit that he visited the spirits in prison and preached to them. Spirits of those who, long before in the days of Noah, had refused to listen to God, though he waited patiently for them, while Noah was building the ark. So Jesus would have sat with Noah and Adam and Eve and Moses and Abraham and many, many other people in paradise at this particular time. You could see him sitting, talking and resting with them. And he was to wait there until the end of the third day. When John writes in the book of Revelation concerning his visions and the angelic messages of the seven angels through whom Jesus speaks to the seven churches, there is the declaration of Jesus having received the keys of hell and death. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. So at this particular time, with one of the keys, darkness would one day be locked away, the keys of death and hell, reserved for an appointed day at the end of time.
with the other key, he would now unlock the prisoners of the past from their patient pause and take many into an eternal heaven. When Jesus turned the key of freedom in the prison gate, a tremor hit the universe. Power from Father and Holy Spirit in heaven was released into and through Jesus to overcome death and the grave that changed the nature of every atom of matter in existence and brought all things that existed into a new kind of union with Christ. This was the beginning of the power of the resurrection to bring all that existed into Christ. Colossians 1 verse 16. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile with himself all things. That means to bring into a state of harmony. That's what the word reconcile is meaning. Whether on earth or in heaven, bringing them into unity with himself through the blood of his cross. Prior to this moment, all of creation was separate insofar as its state of being, a lower order of being, it was separate to the creator, the highest order of being. But that consciousness mindset of separation was there as far as humanity was concerned from the beginning of the creation of humanity, a sense of being separate. Created being is a separate state of being to the uncreated being. So humanity, right from the outset, had in latent form within a consciousness mindset of separation. It was waiting to be triggered by just disobedience to the will of God. And when that was triggered and man disobeyed God, the commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that caused mankind to go his own way with a conscious now living mindset of separation. And it caused man to miss the mark of going the way of God. And that is sin. That was the first sin and that was the result of sin. The law of sin and death. And that is what it's known as. The law of sin and death in humanity. The disobedience caused guilt and shame and separation to be a felt experience of humanity. To Adam and Eve. It was the death blow to relationship from us to God, but not from God to us. It was on our part, the mindset of separation with God. And now Jesus, who has done the work on the earth, dying on the cross, has overcome this law of sin and death through perfect obedience and perfect relationship with his Father. And he has now made a way a new way is now open for humanity to walk in God's ways in a new law. Not the old law of sin and death, but the new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You read that in Romans chapter 8. The law of the spirit of 
Life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now that our Creator Jesus has joined himself to his creation in humanity, we can rise above this mindset of lostness and separation called the law of sin and death. It is always there waiting to trap us, to trigger us by way of temptation into disobedience to God. But nonetheless, there is a higher law waiting to operate the moment that faith and trust in God is put into operation to reunite in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus through faith. And the Bible says that the whole creation is groaning for this glory to be fully manifested. That is a oneness with God, a new creation in Christ to be seen in its fullness. The Bible says that the creation at the moment is groaning for this to be manifested and that we groan within ourselves also for its complete fulfillment, which will be at the end time resurrection. Let me read it to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, that is, the bringing forth a new birth of something, the bringing forth of a new creation. So the whole creation is in the, in the pains of bringing forth a new creation until now. It's still in that process. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the full outworking of the adoption into his family as sons and daughters. The full manifestation of that, the full freedom of that, and that is called the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. You see, our bodies have not been fully redeemed yet. They're still under this old creation. Our spirit has been saved in Christ. Our soul is being saved and transformed as we're transformed into the image of Christ. And our bodies will wait for the final day of resurrection for the final manifestation of the new creation that will then be spirit, soul and body. And the Bible says, for in this hope we were saved. The time came for them to leave and Jesus led them on a triumphant upward journey. So he's with the prisoners. He's with those that have been prisoners of time from Noah through Moses and Abraham, etc., and he's now going to lead them on a triumphant upward journey to their new home, his home, in heaven. The entire company was escorted by Michael and Gabriel and the hosts of angels around them as they ascended ever upwards from paradise on their way up. And they reach earth on the way through. This is from the grave to the sky. So when they reach the earth, that was where they and Jesus most recently had come from. And there they all stopped for a brief period of time because there were things for Jesus to do there. The first thing that Jesus had to do was to go to his tomb where his earthly body lay in its shroud. Michael and Gabriel flew before Jesus to the tomb and found the guards there that the temple priests had appointed to stand watch at the tomb. 
As the angels alighted, the ground shook and the massive stone rolled away as a huge burst of lightning hit the place, sending the guards reeling headlong into the ground. You can read this in John chapter 20. So the guards leapt up in fright and bolted. Jesus entered his tomb, united himself again to the wounded shell of his body, leaving the headpiece and the shroud lying separated from one another in the tomb. Michael and Gabriel waited inside the tomb while Jesus walked bodily from the temporary resting place out into the garden. He walked about, recalling vividly the events that had so recently taken place nearby. For instance, he remembered his time of kneeling in an agony of prayer in the garden when he accepted his cup of unbearable suffering. A very strange thing was also happening in other parts of Jerusalem. Hundreds of souls who had just accompanied Jesus from below and who had recently died were making the briefest appearances to their loved ones in Jerusalem. The graves had been opened. And we'll go back and read this, which we read in Matthew chapter 27 concerning from the cross to the grave. Matthew chapter 27, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had died were raised up and came out of the tombs after his resurrection. Didn't happen when he died on the cross. The tombs were opened when he died on the cross. They were cracked open in the earthquake. But the people came out of the tombs after his resurrection, as it says in the scripture, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What an extraordinary scripture of the journey from the grave to the sky. At that same time, some women had prepared oils and spices to anoint Jesus' body. On their way to the tomb, they were discussing the problem of how to move the huge stone that covered the entrance. When they arrived, they were astonished to see that it had been moved and the guards were nowhere to be seen. They peered inside the tomb and were met by the majestic appearance of Michael and Gabriel, sitting in the place where Jesus had been laying. Are you looking for Jesus? Gabriel said. He's come back to life as he said he would. Go and tell the disciples that he will be coming to see them and that they are to wait for him in Galilee. The women ran to tell the disciples, but one of them dropped behind and walked slowly through the garden, still confused and weeping. She almost collided with Jesus, who was also walking in the garden, and she apologised, not recognising who he was, thinking he was the gardener. This was Mary Magdalene. And he called her by name and said, It's all right, Mary. It's me. It really is. When she recognised him, she ran towards him. But he held up his hand and said, Please do not hold me because I cannot be touched until I have presented the complete offering of my body and blood to my father. You can read about that offering that had to be made in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 to 16. I will be back with you very soon, so go and tell the others. Jesus then regrouped with all those he had set free and the magnificent procession began to move in splendour with its escort of glorious angels from the grave to the sky. As their ascension took them closer and closer to the throne room, a mighty voice could be heard proclaiming his majestic entrance. Psalm 24 verse 7 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. The Lord had won the battle against darkness, and now he was coming into the gates, the King of glory. At this command, the heavenly music began. It would have been the sound of thousands of pipes and voices of hundreds of harmonies, the deepest of vibrating bass and the ascending range of every stringed instrument would create a majestic symphony, a cascading melody and the volumes of resonance and pulsing with rhythm would be flooding and receding in this moment of triumph. Jesus had come home. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it described him in his glory. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he sustains everything in the universe now by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This was the moment. Purification had been made. And now everything in the universe was held by the word of his power. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, we see this power at work. How vibrant and powerful is that divine energy that comes from God to us when we simply believe that he is the creator and generator of this supernatural power which exploded into reality when he raised Jesus from the dead and took him into heaven to sit next to him at his right hand. This heavenly place and position took Jesus as God and man far above any other force or realm of authority that can be named, whether on earth or in the heavens, and he has become the centre of all consequence and meaning in the universe. Father led Jesus to a throne in the throne room, sat him at his right hand where the most glorious of all crowns was placed upon his head, which still bore the marks of the cruel wreath of thorns from his flogging. All the angels and all those who'd come with him on the upward journey beheld their king in his place of honour. Those of the faithful company who had waited throughout time also took their places of honour in their new home and joined in the magnificent celebration. Jesus' time in heaven for these celebrations was momentary as he had left the tomb just before dawn and he had to return to earth that same day. He would now spend 40 days on earth as a witness to his resurrection to seal the plan of his father and see it implemented for the rest of time. At the end of those 40 days, he would return to heaven. He would ascend, finally, the final ascension, to begin his new mission upon the planet. And after that ascension, after that 40 days, he would then wait a further 10 days before sending the Holy Spirit to begin the new mission of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit had accompanied Jesus every moment of his life on earth. He had joined himself to the human spirit of Jesus and had felt every feeling that Jesus had felt. He had known every one of his thoughts and he had communicated every thought from Father God to him. Those thoughts became words in Jesus' mouth and Spirit caused those words to have life and power to all who heard Jesus speak. In this way, Holy Spirit had also experienced life within humanity on the earth. 
in 50 days after his resurrection, Pentecost, the word pente means 50, and after Jesus had returned back to heaven, Holy Spirit would come to earth and become the bond between heaven and earth for all time. He would fall like rain from heaven upon the souls of mankind, seeking to awaken the spirit of humanity to the cosmic truth of what Jesus had done in joining mankind to God. This would now become the mission of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in heaven and on earth. And within the contradiction of the experience that we call human life, there would exist at one and the same time the cry for and the resistance to the oneness of spirit with God for which mankind was created. And within the human pain of this struggle would be found the cry of Holy Spirit wrestling to join the minds and hearts of people to God. There would be this struggle between the spirit and what we call the flesh, the false self, still wanting to do things Adam's way. This struggle and wrestle would exist throughout time as the spiritual energy of God's love that would never cease its activity in the heart's of humanity. It would be the sign of the divine heart exercising its love in the subduing of human nature that it might resonate with the nature of God. Whenever this truth would be embraced by a human heart, that heart would at last find itself at home around the family table where it was destined eternally to be. Amen. To be continued.